Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. My conversation today is with the senior associate minister of the church in Charlotte, North Carolina, that is known for the beautiful steeple that graces the Charlotte skyline. But I want to acknowledge that Catherine and I use the word God throughout this episode. And obviously, people use many different names for their higher power if they even have a belief. And sometimes this isn't a creator, but something else that taps into the transcendence that we discuss in this episode. So I think you'll find it fruitful no matter where your belief fall and we would love to hear your feedback. Thanks for joining. I am Catherine Kerr and I am the Senior Associate Minister at Covenant Presbyterian Church and my responsibilities there are um, congregational life and pastoral care. And um, I have been in ordained ministry for 16 years now. Um, I served a church in Mississippi and I served at a church, another church in Charlotte before coming to Covenant in 2019, just before the pandemic. Right. Um, or I should say coming back to Covenant. I was a member of Covenant before I went to seminary. And back then, when I was a young adult, I was a school counselor in the Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. And so I, I didn't started- know that. And so in congregational life and pastoral care... There's got to be a lot of crossover, I would imagine, where you kind of show up in a therapeutic role, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about pastoral ministry is that um, the best uh, kind of pastoral care comes out of those relationships that are developed through fellowship, um, you know, getting to know folks, just being at events, which has been particularly challenging, obviously, in this past year. So much of people bring themselves to church in in so many different ways and, and being able to just connect with someone sitting at a meal together or in a body or on a hike. I mean, that's one of the things our church does. Um, one of our fellowship events is meeting and going on hikes and some phenomenal conversations happen. Yes. So personally for you, can you just tell us a little bit about what you're willing to share about your own mental health journey? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I have wrestled with depression and anxiety really since I was a teenager, but wasn't able to put words on it for a long time. So I, um, I was born in the early seventies and so, you know, high school in the eighties and, and didn't talk about it. it. I mean, anxiety wasn't even in the, in the popular lingo as a, a reality for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at one point in college when I was wrestling with my feelings and, and worried about being depressed, I had a friend who looked at me and said, you're not depressed. You can get out of bed in the morning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And 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 it really got me questioning because I thought I was dealing with some depression. But that, um, you know, if that was the the barometer for it, well, then she was right. I wasn't. But I was still dealing with some significant challenges sure. emotionally. So it took a long time and it really wasn't until I was in my mid-20s and going through some some really challenging things that I w- was in therapy and able to put a name on it. And um, 
through different points in my life, you know, I've wrestled with it like so many people, um, you know, coming and going. Sure. And to that point, I mean, there's already the stigma or the lack of language, but then to have somebody name, I like the word you use, like that's the barometer is we have Mm -hmm. a certain image in our minds about what clinical depression looks like, Mm -hmm. what clinical anxiety or true panic attack looks like. And a lot of people don't understand that that can definitely manifest and present differently for different people. And so that, that got you all in your head about it in, in a mental illness that's already so isolating and shame-based and confusion-based. And so I can imagine that would have just felt very stuck. Yes. Yes. When you, you know, you come to a place of thinking, okay, there's something wrong with me. Maybe I think I can put a name on it. Oh, well, if it's not that, then there's really is something. There is something wrong with me. (laughs) Why can't I feel better if I'm not clinically depressed, Uh but things are not right. What is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. It did. It really did a number on me, which is, which has a lot to do with why I now professionally am so passionate about giving name to that and normalizing that experience with people. That's right. That's right. And giving them that, that line of communication, it's okay to not be okay. Here's mm-hmm. what it might look like here. And, and so, but that's a great point about just generationally to yeah. what, how that impacted the language we were using. Cause we talk about that a lot, just in families of origin, we get messaging for sure. Uh, yeah. But, but also just in the popular language, then it wasn't, it wasn't a go-to thing. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. And and I'm grateful to be raising a child now um, where that language is much more um, accessible and acceptable. Sure. So when did you know that you wanted to go into ministry and, you know, and, and we, we, I talk with a lot of people about just spirituality and religion being a go-to coping skill for them. Um, But, but it's just talk to me about your journey with that. And then the nuances of being a woman in that (laughs) role too. I'd love to hear more about that. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting. I can't talk about my call into ministry without talking about one of the hardest times in my life. Um, And the image for me is I was just I was I was a young adult, single, living in Charlotte, working as a school counselor, um, you know, kind of in my mid 20s, kind of living my life thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And things just started to unravel at a relationship I was in ended and the job didn't feel like the exact right job. And you know, it's it's a little bit of what people sometimes refer to as a quarter life crisis, but even more than that for me and um, um, depression and anxiety kind of creeping in. Um, and the image I had and I, I continue to have is it was as if God's hand was on my shoulder, just kind of softly at first. And then a little bit more insistent, a little bit more insistent until I was on my knees. Like Mm -hmm. things kept happening and I kept thinking, I can do this. I can handle this. I got this. I'm strong. I can do it until I couldn't. Mm. And I was down on my knees and it was sort of like, okay, God, I cannot carry all of this by myself. Mm. It was in giving up that false sense of control over my life that everything just cracked open. Mm. And you know, I'm Presbyterian. And so I have a very reformed sense of theology and salvation. But, you know, if 
if I were to be asked about a born again moment, that was it. Right. It was it was saying I cannot control my life on my own. And, and for me as a person of faith, it was God, I need you to help me. I can feel the tenderness around that <laughs> image in that moment. And what a, you know, a turning point. It was. And a release, right? Mm -hmm. of, of I no longer have to pretend. I no longer have to subscribe to this false narrative. Right. And I can hand it over. Yes. Yes. And it, and what's so amazing looking back on it is it's not like everything just fell into place when I did that. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> oh. Sometimes people think, oh, well, once you do that, then everything just turns out perfectly. Uh -huh. No, I still had struggles and I still battled depression and anxiety, but there was a lightness mm. to it that I hadn't felt before and a, and a hope that I honestly hadn't felt before. I was, I was going to call it that hope or, and, and trust maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And interestingly, the, the sense of calling into ministry happened really quickly after that. And so I think I'd probably resisted it without even knowing it. And as I started to talk to people in my life, almost to a person, when I said, mm. I'm thinking about going to seminary, they said, Yep. That doesn't surprise me at all. I knew you were going to do that. Huh. <laughs> and I would say, well, why didn't you tell me? Right. Thanks for the memo. I did not know. <laughs> oh, I love that though. Like it just made sense. It did. And mm -hmm. it, it, for a long time, it felt like my path was very curvy. And I, I kind of thought, well, I, you know, I've already gone to graduate school. I have a degree in counseling. I'm going to be a counselor. I'm going to be a therapist. But that never felt quite right. And then I went to seminary and kind of thought, am I going in a completely different direction? But sitting where I am now, it makes sense. <sighs> and the counseling training has led me into a type of ministry that feels like the exact right spot for me. Yes. When we're younger, nobody wants to hear that idea of like, it'll all make sense one day. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we poo-poo that as young adults or it's, it's really hard to wrap your head around that. But mm -hmm. I mean, that my favorite saying is trust the process where you just, you may not understand why yeah. things are unfolding a certain way, but I, I do believe one day it makes sense. And that's Absolutely. God's plan. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We just want the plan right now. Of course we do. Instant <laughs> gratification. Yeah. We want to control all the variables. Mm -hmm. We want it to fit into our story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's part of that handing over for sure. Absolutely. Yes. <sighs> so, okay. So, well, let me finish that, that thought about just um, being a woman in ministry. Can you, can mm -hmm. you speak about any of that? Yeah. So, you know, a, a big part of that that process for me at that time, um, I was in my late twenties then by that time and I was single and there was a thought in my head of, if I do this, I will never get married and I will never have children. And it wasn't a rational thought, but that was something that I wanted so badly. And that had a lot to do with my struggles in my twenties was my friends were all getting married. They were all having kids. I was really worried that that wasn't going to happen for me. And what did that mean about me? And what did that say about me? And it really had a lot to do with my identity. And so um, I had to wrestle with a lot of that first. 
sort of going into ministry. And then interestingly, um, you know, my first call, as I said, was in a, in Oxford, Mississippi, where the university of Mississippi is. And, um, I knew that I wanted to be somewhere in the South, but I wasn't so sure that the deep South was it. And there were a lot of, a lot of great things about it. But one of the most challenging things was that, um, there, the majority denominations there are denominations that do not ordain women and, and that believe very strongly that women should be silent in church and in other areas of life. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of pushback, um, wow. which was hard at the time, but it also um, reaffirmed my, fa- my call. That's and right. I, remember, I remember really well um, being in the church office one day when a carpet salesman or something came into the church office and he decided that he, he needed to question me about my ministry when I was introduced as a minister. And so he started questioning me and, you know, and, and finally said, you know, how, how can you be doing ministry? And I just looked at him. I said, you know, it's between God and me. I'm, I feel called by God and I can't really give you any other answer. And, you know, you're gonna have to take that up with God. Cause Ooh, I, <laughs> I like you know, that. I, I'm not going to battle with you about interpretation of scripture mm-hmm. or try to prove anything. Uh-huh. Right. Uh huh. So yeah. that was a pretty pivotal experience. You right. Know, to have someone Question come straight it. out and say, what gives you the right to oh. be in ministry? Uh huh. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. So that's a beautiful answer. I I was amazed. I think the Holy Spirit rushed in in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> there might have been some gone. other human thoughts that you wanted to say. <laughs> it could have gone a different way. That's right. Sure. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, I'm sure you get with this role too. I'm, I'm, well, do you get the question or similar questions to why do bad things happen, right? Like, why does God let bad things happen? Why is mm-hmm. there so much suffering? Uh, I mean, such big existential questions uh, yeah. to put you on the spot. How do you answer that? <laughs> yeah, those are among the most difficult and the most beautiful conversations okay. that I have for sure. And, um, you know, I, ha- I long ago had to give up my perfectionistic desire to give people the right answer um, because it. there is none, right? There is no right answer. There are things we will never know this side of eternity, and what I what I do tell people in those conversations when someone is in the throes of just despair and, and the most difficult situations is I don't know why things happen. But what I know for sure is that God is with us in them, that God doesn't leave us alone to sort through the ruins of whatever has has happened and um and that I sometimes I think that trying to find an answer to why um, distracts us from mm. living in the moment and experiencing the fullness of the feelings. Mm. Um, because, it you know, it takes us to the head to try to understand it. So we we need to be in the heart. That well, yes. feeling. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And again, just the, the, our instinct to do that, if I can mm. make sense of this, if I can mm. rationalize my way through it and some things, yeah, just needing to, I like how you said that is being in the full experience and trusting mm. that you're not alone in it. Right. Uh-huh. But that's terrifying for of all of us. 
that's, I mean, that's why we do that, right? That's why we go yep. back to the head and say, yep. I'm in control. I can make the decisions. I can, I can understand why this happened and what I'm supposed to learn from it. Mm-hmm. It, it provides us a sense of comfort, but it doesn't mm-hmm. last very long. That's right. That's right. And that feels like when, when I tell clients, you know, the number one thing I want you to learn in therapy is that you can handle feeling discomfort. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to make mm-hmm. it go away. I don't have mm-hmm. some magic answer. I'd be a billionaire if I did. <laughs> it's, it's more about learning to trust that you can handle the discomfort that is right. inevitable. So that feels like that. I wonder too, if you could speak to, uh, you know, we, I've had several conversations with people about how in different cultures or different mm-hmm. families, religion is used sometimes as uh you just need to pray about it. Like if you're mm-hmm. having mental health struggles specifically, mm-hmm. just need to pray about it and go into a therapist. You don't need to do that. You don't need to put our business out there or, you know, uh, just, so I don't know. I mean, it, having had your own experience with mental health mm-hmm. and strong faith, how do those things go together for you? So there are a couple, a couple things I would say about that. And the first is I want to acknowledge right here that religion in some circles, the inst- religious institutions have done real damage to people with mental health challenges. And um, I think many of us in the church need to step up and claim that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's in many it, it's not dissimilar to the reality of white supremacy, that it is pervasive. And so even if my church hasn't done that the church has and people see the church that way. And so those of us who don't view it in that way, who don't view it as a demon possession or a failure of faith need to do more work in saying that's not what we believe. And, um, you know, if, if, if we're going to say God created all things and all of us carry within us the image of God, then we have to acknowledge that, um, that the that these challenges that we can face, mental health challenges, as well as physical health challenges, are a natural part of being human. Mm. There is brokenness in this world. That's just that, that's pervasive. Brokenness in the world is pervasive. It's not a reflection on my faith. And so mm. depression is no more a reflection of my faith than if I were to have diabetes. Or if I were to break my leg, mm-hmm. I can't pray those things away. I can't pray to keep that from happening. And so why would I think that I could pray my way out of mm. a mental health situation? Mm-hmm. And like, and, you know, in the same way before, I believe that God is with us in those things. Mm-hmm. Not that God causes it or that God is waiting for us to pray the right words to make it go away, but that God is with us in it, walking us into the next part of it, which hopefully is into God's will of wholeness and wellness and life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then thank you for being one of the people that is willing to speak out about Mm -hmm. things like that. And that's how change happens. And growth happens. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things I get so frustrated about is how how our society talks about church. 
as if it is a monolithic experience, Mm -hmm. which you and I both know and everyone listening knows that is not the case. You Mm -hmm. only I mean, you can go to two different congregations in the same denomination and have a very different experience. And so to think that there's one experience of church Mm -hmm. is really limited. Mm-hmm. But the one that gets the most voice is the one that is more judgmental, that says women need to be silent and mental health challenges are are some sort of sign from God and, you know, all of these yes. other things. And there are a lot of people of faith who do not buy into that. Yes. And I, I will hear from my clients this distinction then that they feel they have to make between I'm spiritual, but not religious Mm -hmm. or something like that gives them some distance from some of that, which you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Because each of us has a God shaped hole within us, whatever we may call it, whatever we may be comfortable with. I do believe that each of us has something in us that, that seeks the transcendent and wants to understand and, and, and believes that there is something beyond ourselves. And some people are very uncomfortable calling that God. And I think that's okay. I think God is big enough to handle all of that, whatever someone calls it. And so if it is spirituality, mm. I think God's working in that. And, 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 and that's okay. And the church has, um, frankly, allowed the insecurity about power to create this need for it to look a certain way. And God's just bigger than that. And so um, spirituality covers a whole lot of things. And I think it's, you know, if someone is not comfortable calling that God, God can still work with that, I think. Like and, that. Yeah, I like and, that. and that's God. And I mean, religion, if you think about religion, really is an institution. And that's yes. a human construct. Yes. And I think that's what feels kind of safer emotionally or, you know, whatever, for people to then make that distinction if they have mm-hmm. that distrust mm-hmm. in the institution. Yeah, the yeah. spirituality points to God where religion often points more to humans. Mm-hmm when we talk about coping skills or self-care, a lot of people's go-to is something in a spiritual nature, right? So it may not necessarily mm-hmm. be praying, mm-hmm. but I, I I need to go be in nature. Right. It's a connection with something beyond oneself. Yes. And meditation allows us that. Yes. Um, yeah. Nature, yoga, exercise, and, you know, so many reading there's yes. So many. Mm-hmm. Yes. That transcendence. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are your go-to self-care activities? Being outside for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, mm-hmm. that it is amazing how much that I, I'm drawn to be outside when I'm, I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, rest is a big one. And I have, I've wrestled with that as mm-hmm. a, a, you know, <laughs> a working woman and yes, working woman. Uh-huh. Am I allowed to do this? But, um, One of the things that in terms of my mental health, um, one of the things that's been really powerful for me in the past several years is learning about the designation of the highly sensitive person and understanding that that has been my experience. That is my truth. Yes. 
um, being highly sensitive to physical sensation and to sound and light and emotion and all of those things. And it's almost like recognizing that has given me the permission to know then that I process things in a different way and I actually need more sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I don't feel like I'm a lazy person, but that that's actually what keeps me healthy. It recharges you. Mm-hmm. It recharges me. And I have to disconnect from the sights and the sounds and the sensations all around me um, in order to be able to function. Girl, you're speaking my language. <laughs> I even went to a sleep specialist, sleep therapist, you know, and I'm and they talk about that. The average is always seven hours on paper, you know, and I'm like, your girl needs nine hours. Like, what is wrong with me? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And that is why I mean, Mm -hmm. think because when we're empaths too, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. you're you're, so just the amount that we carry, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't even if it doesn't register as heaviness, which definitely sometimes it does, but mm-hmm. just the, the mental fatigue, <laughs> the yes. physical fatigue that comes from all of that. So I love that you now have found that naming it gives you that kind of permission to, to lean into it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even a, you know, even a, a lovely event with people I care about, um, I can be with four or five people and I am absorbing all of their energy. Yes. Even if everybody's happy and we're, I am I'm thinking about I'm wanting to make sure everyone's okay and absorbing their energy and thinking hmm, she seems a little bit off. I hope she's okay. All of those things. And it yes. takes its toll on you. Yes. <laughs> and we we've had to get better at at not carrying it in certain ways. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had to learn that too. Cause yes. you 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 were with people in lots of different stages of life, end of life, you know, lots of yes. Yeah. So we have mm-hmm. that's where self-care comes in too, for sure. Right. Being able to right. honor what we need. Uh, do you have go-to people that you like to read or any quotes that resonate with you? Yeah, it's funny when you were saying earlier, um, I I have several, um, Glennon Doyle, of course. Mm-hmm. She amazes me. The way she's able to take the things that so many people think and put them in um, easy to remember Things And so, of course, we can do hard things, I think, is such a helpful Mm -hmm. reminder when we're navigating emotional difficulty. We can do hard things. We can feel hard feelings. And that that's been really helpful. Another one in her most recent book um, that I really wrestled with, but now um, claim it as a, a mantra is when she when she was talking to her daughter and said, your responsibility is to disappoint as many people as you have to, in order not to disappoint yourself. Mm. (laughs) That gives me chills every time. Yes. And at first I was like, no, 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 we're not supposed to disappoint people. But the more I read it and the more I thought about it, the more I said, oh, wow, she's something there. There is something there. There is something there. And that has been, that's been transformational for me. Um, Yeah. For sure. Those are two of the, those mantras that I I carry. And then, you know, from, from a faith tradition, the, this one scripture passage that is probably the most meaningful to me is, um, is from the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. And if you go back to what I was saying about my, my sense of call into ministry and my rushing to try to make everything make sense and make everything fit, 
that is my center mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, be still and know mm-hmm. that God is God. Mm-hmm. And I come back to that a lot when I'm mm-hmm. feeling myself taking on more responsibility than I need to. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you, you really have these themes of trust mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of in that stillness mm-hmm. and all of that, that yes. And I've always said that about people like Brene and Glennon and, um, you know, the ideas are, they resonate. So they must've been you know, noodling around in our heads in some level, but they mm-hmm. say it in these really digestible, accessible ways that feel like, yeah, I can get my head around that. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm big on, you know, affirmations can feel cheesy to people, but um, there's a lot of research behind why they work and why, how they, how they fit with our cognitive styles. And so I'm big on putting post-it notes around you know, or making it my phone yeah. background or just when I breathe in, it's what I say to myself, things like that. Yeah. And scripture Absolutely. can definitely um, be grounding and centering for people in that way. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I offer to folks is, um, is a way is a breath prayer of taking mm-hmm. scripture, you know, saying a part of it as you breathe in and a part of it as you breathe out. And it's a way it's calming and meditative. It's also a way to allow that scripture to sink in and become a go-to self-care mantra, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is really important because I think when we're, when we're in those moments of, of panic or fear or depression or anxiety, our minds can go blank and it's hard to sort of think, okay, I know there's something in scripture that will help me, but if I try to open the Bible, I'm going to, you know, get to a list of names or to a, a story that doesn't have anything to do with this. And so the more we sort of immerse ourselves in those healing verses, the more we're able to call on them when we need them. That's right. I say that on any coping skill, don't wait until the crisis, you know, crisis it's on the good days or uh, quote unquote good days. Right. Because people come in and be like, well, I don't have anything to talk about today. Everything's actually fine this week. And it's like, okay, this is when we're going to actually do some work. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And going back to your question about, you know, people asking why do bad things happen and, and what do we, that's one of my passions in ministry too, is talking about the hard things to people before they are in them. Because when when it all falls apart, you can't say, mm-hmm. um, you can't talk theologically about good and evil with someone. Mm-hmm. You can when they're not in that place. Uh, uh, you know, so it's... That's right. I really think that Bible study and preaching and conversations in church need to acknowledge the hard times and and the difficulty that exist in our world so that we are all equipped to understand that God is with us when they happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that any sort of light and easy Christianity that doesn't say to people difficult things will happen to people of faith. Mm hmm. Um, is is false. It's the wrong message. Yeah, it's an incorrect yeah. message. Yeah. You know, I just, I love the opportunity to talk to you and to share this because, I mean, as I've said, I just, the, the crossover between therapy and faith, between mental health and, and belief 
is is something I'm passionate about. And, and I think our culture doesn't do a good enough job of, of drawing those connections and, and seeing those bridges. And they're there. And um, I love to have the conversations about them because the more we can pull it together, mm-hmm. the healthier everyone will be. Goodness, how many of us have had our own mental illness experiences minimized or dismissed? Catherine talks about a comment from a friend that led her to question her own experience. And this really comes from a place of people having preconceived ideas or or stereotypes in their head about what certain mental illness looks like. And this is something that we need to unlearn. So specific to depression, we tend to talk about situational depression, which is more of an adjustment disorder, actually. So we can, it's a short-term experience that we can tie back to a specific event or series of events. And then there's biological depression, which includes uh, the impact of our hormones, brain chemicals, and genetics. And the deal with depression is that there are already, there are several depressive disorders, but there is also a wide variety and spectrum of symptomology that people experience or, or manifestations of the way that these symptoms even appear. And so it's really important to understand that it doesn't just look like the person who can't keep up with what we call activities of daily living. So showering or waking up to fulfill your responsibilities. Uh, It could look like, a person, you know, who you don't know that they're faking the smile and, and fronting and out there just, you know, making things happen. Uh, you don't know because they're able to hide sort of this, this the hopelessness or sadness or loss of pleasure in activities or, or trouble focusing or feeling overwhelmed. And so it may not look like explicit isolation. Uh, And so I think the biggest thing for me in this is understanding that we can't judge each other or even our own experiences. So if you feel off, if you feel like there's a fog, if you feel like things are just a bit harder, you're the expert of your life. And so pay attention to that. And, and talk about it. And this is how we start to bust the myths of certain stereotypes and understand that, that it doesn't look the same for you and for me, and that's okay. And we're more likely to talk about it and heal from it and seek support around it if we know that we're entitled to our own emotional experiences. So we're all in it together. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We're removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy.